0: We're in John chapter 13, and just out of reverence for God's word this morning, let's stand together as we read uh, the passage of scripture that God has for us. John chapter 13, I'm going to read from verse uh, 36 to verse 38. After I read, I'm simply going to say, this is God's word, and then we all can say together, thanks be uh, to God. So, John chapter uh, 13, beginning at verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is God's word. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, this is indeed your word. We do thank you that you are a God that has spoken and a God who is speaking. And Lord, we pray that the same spirit who inspired the Apostle John to write these words as he was an eyewitness to this very conversation, we pray that that same spirit that moved in John to write these words, that your spirit would move in us to be able to live these words. And God, we, we know that we cannot do that on our own. God, I pray that you would be with your servant. I pray for strength and weakness. I pray that you would help me to teach that which is sound doctrine, that's what, that which would build up and edify the family of God that is gathered here. I pray for everyone who can hear the sound of my voice, everyone who is a sitting or listening to the teaching of your word, God, that it would not merely go to our minds, but that it would transform our hearts for your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Amen. All right. Well, please be seated. Uh, Today, we're looking at Jesus' new command that he gave to his uh, disciples. Here's what a New Testament scholar, uh, D.A. Carson, has to say about this passage in John 13, verse 33 to 38. He says, the new commandment is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate and yet profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. That's what, that's what we're going to be taking a look at. Something that is so deep. Something that is so difficult. But we can't say that it's difficult because it's complicated. Because it's not complicated. The, the, the trick... That The challenge is that it is so simple and there's no way to really get around it. That Christ has commanded us, this new command that we would love the way that he has loved us. And so if we're going to, if we're going to live out this passage, if we are indeed going to love one another the way that he has loved us, us we're going to need to we're going to need to approach this passage really from three different angles. Here's here's the first one. We need to see it as a command. If we are going to love one another, we we must obey his command. If you're taking notes today, just write this down. We love one another when we obey his command. Jesus doesn't give suggestions. He doesn't give us a list of options to choose from. He, he doesn't uh, give us his opinion or advice. Jesus gives commands. He's God incarnate. He made us. He has authority over us. And he gives us commands that we need to follow. And so loving one another is not optional. It's not something where we're like, thank you Jesus, duly noted. No, no. This is a command. We need to take this seriously. The night that he was betrayed, the, the night before he went to the cross, he gave this command. Notice how he prefaces the command. Notice how he speaks to his disciples in verse 33. He calls them little children he gives this command to love and he gives it in such a tender and loving way it's like it's like a father or a mother gathering their their children around the around the kitchen table and saying listen to me listen to me children listen to me my 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 sons and 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 my my daughters I want to tell you something important he calls them Little children. It's clear here who's in the position of authority. He's not speaking to them as peers. He's speaking to them. Calling them little children. He tells them what's going to happen. He says, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He says... I'm telling you that I'm going away. And he says, You've heard me say this before. John 13, Jesus, this is a private conversation. They're in the upper room, but Jesus had said something like this publicly a couple of different times. And he says, he says Just as I said to the Jews, now the, the disciples were Jewish and Jesus was Jewish. And so when he's saying the Jews, he's really referring to the Jewish leaders. And, but he had, he had told them this before. Take a look at, uh, on the screen here. In John 7, Jesus said, he said this publicly, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. That sounds just like what he's saying in John 13. The Jews, the religious leaders, said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and, and teach the Greek? They're trying to figure out, what is he? Is he leaving Jerusalem? Is he, is he going to go overseas somewhere? Is he going to go to another part of the world? They weren't sure what he meant when he said, I'm going. I'm going to the one who sent me. Jesus was saying, I'm going to the Father. And then later in John chapter 8, again, speaking publicly, he says, I'm going away. You will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, "What will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? No, Jesus is saying the same thing now to his disciples. He's saying, I'm going somewhere and you can't come. But there's a difference. Look down at verse 36 when Peter speaks up. says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow me after. The Jewish leaders couldn't go where Jesus was going because the Jewish leaders didn't believe in Jesus. But Peter believed in Jesus. The disciples believed in Jesus. And so Jesus could confidently say, you can't go where I'm going now, but you will go where I am going later. So where is he going? Well, he's going to the Father. And and he was going to to God's presence, to to the right hand of his Father. And he told his disciples, you can't go where I'm going. Because Jesus had to go to the Father first. He had to go there on our behalf. He had to go to prepare a place. That's what John 14 is about, the next chapter. So in in order for us to go to the Father, Jesus had to go first. But before he went to the Father, he went to the cross. And his disciples could not go to the cross with him. Because Jesus had to go alone to the cross. That he, as God incarnate, as the Son of God, was going to bear the sins that I, that I committed and that you committed, that all of us has committed. He was going to bear the just wrath of God, and he needed to do that alone. So he says, where I'm going, you cannot go to the Father. Where I'm going, you cannot go to the cross. But he told Peter, hey, you're going you're to go there eventually. Peter is now with the Father. Peter, too, not in the same way, but in a similar way, suffered the way that Jesus Suffered. So he lets them know that he's going away. He says, yet a little while, I'm going away. And he says, here's something that I want you to do while I'm gone. He gives them this command. Verse 34, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. This is a command. This is the Thursday night before good Friday. Some of us who might have grown up attending a more traditional church would know that the Thursday before Good Friday is called Maundy Thursday. Maundy comes from the Latin uh, uh, mandatum, where we would get our word mandate. Uh, and Monday mandatum means command. Thir- Maundy Thursday is Command Thursday. It's the day where the church stops to pause and think about what it means for us to love one another the way that Christ has commanded us to love. Some churches have foot washing ceremonies during that time because Jesus washed his disciples' feet in that upper room. But this is the command that Jesus has given to us. Now think, what do we do so often instead of loving? When Jesus is telling us to start loving, there's a bunch of things we've got to stop doing. Stop Stop comparing ourselves to one another and start loving one another. Stop judging one another and start loving one another. Stop competing with one another, start loving one another. Stop envying one another. Stop fearing one another. Stop manipulating and using one another. Stop ignoring one another. Stop avoiding one another and start loving one another. This is what he is commanding us to do. He says that it's a new commandment. This is a little bit puzzling because, I mean, the, the, the idea of Jesus telling people to love others, that isn't exactly new. He's been doing this kind of right from the start. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, you love your neighbor as yourself. And the servant on the mount, he said, you know, even love your enemies. And, but So this is nothing new in terms of what Jesus taught. And here's the other thing. Jesus didn't invent the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. He he just was quoting the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 19 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quoted Leviticus of all places. This concept of loving others is not new. So what makes it new? I mean, <laughs> Jesus, it's not like he forgot that he had said this kind of stuff before. It's not that he's plagiarizing the book of Leviticus. No, you notice how it's not saying love your neighbor. It's saying love one another. So the, the focus of love has changed. It's not some broad sense. Love everybody around you, like loving your neighbor. No, this is, Jesus is about to create a new community, isn't he? The church. So, There is a sense in which we all have to love our neighbor, but now he is calling these these disciples to form a new family of brothers and sisters who are united by faith, and he gives a command to this specific group of people. If you have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins by faith, then you're part of that family, so this command now applies to you. It's a new command, not just loving your neighbor, but loving one another. That's what makes it new. It's also new in the sense that there's a new standard that goes along with it. We're supposed to love our neighbor as Christ loved us. Not as we would want to be loved. It's changing. The standard is different now. And also the power to obey this command is totally different. Because Christ went to the cross for us. And Christ has sent us his spirit. And so there's... There's a new focus, we love one another. There's a new example, just as I have loved you. And there's a new power in that we now have the Spirit that is helping us to fulfill this command. So, we love one another when we obey His command. we got to understand it, but it's not enough to simply understand it. We have to do it. Obedience comes when we put this into practice so we love one another firstly when we obey his command secondly make note of this we love one another when we follow his example we love one another when we follow his example the key here is what jesus says when he says just as there in verse 34 love one another just as i have loved you so the disciples at the time they can they can look back right they can look back and they can look down at their feet and see that their feet are clean and so they can say well I gotta love well, I gotta love my fellow disciples my brothers and sisters in Christ I gotta love them the way that he just loved me so they could they could look back they could look down at their feet and say okay that's what this looks like just as so that's what they were thinking then no doubt foot washing was something that a rabbi would have never expected his disciples to do for them. Chances are, Peter, Matthew, Mark, Bartholomew, any of these disciples, never at any time would have washed Jesus' feet. It was never expected for a disciple, even though a disciple would do anything for the rabbi, it was never expected that a disciple would wash the rabbi's feet. And yet, Jesus washed theirs. So they could look back and marvel at the fact that their feet are clean and that Jesus did it. But then within a matter of hours, they would not only be looking at their feet, they would be looking at the cross. That just as is not just about a towel and a bowl bowl of water. That just as is about a crown of thorns. That just as is about being beaten and scourged. That just as is about being nailed to two pieces of wood and suffocating to death and getting a spear in your side. That's what just as is. You see this is a new command. This isn't love your neighbor as yourself. That standard is too low. Our expectations of other human beings aren't exactly the highest. Our expectations of ourselves aren't that high. And so when we think treat others the way you want it to be treated, man, that's I mean that's kind of okay. But this is a new command. It's not just expect from others what you would expect to do for them or expect from yourself what you would expect from. No, 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 no. We no longer treat people based on how we want to be treated. We no longer treat people based on how other people treat us. No. Now we treat people based on how Jesus has treated us, and that changes everything. This is a new command. And Jesus has given us the example. We now bow before the feet of the foot washer. We now worship the Savior who suffered and died for us on the cross. And this is our model for what it means to love one another. The standard has changed dramatically. Just as. How did Jesus love us? He loved, us. he loved us in a way that was intentional, in a way that was sacrificial. There's so much that we could say. We're going to sing later, you know? If, if, if the ocean were filled with ink, if every stalk, if every tree on planet Earth were a pen, if every human being on the planet were a scribe, if we were to try to write all about the love of God, we, we would run out of paper, we would run out of ink. Because there's so much that can be said about the love of God. But let's just, let's just th- focus on these two things. When Jesus loved us, he was intentional and he was sacrificial. Jesus isn't up there in heaven talking to the angels and to God. Goes, yeah, man, I don't really know what happened. I went down there, da- da- went down there the, to earth and I ended up on a cross. And I performed substitutionary atonement for the whole planet. Who, I mean, who, it just kind of happened. That- no, no, <laughs> it's not the way it worked. This was part of his plan. He came on mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came looking for Ted Duncan. He came looking for Steven Cranion. He came looking for Greg Hinselman. He he came looking for us. It was on purpose. It was intentional. And if we are going to love the way Jesus loved us, we have to do it on purpose. It can't just happen. And it was so. It was intentional, and it was sacrificial. He paid a. He gave his life. And if we are going, if we are going to love just as Jesus loved us, it's going to cost us something. It, it's not just going to happen. It must be intentional, and it's not going to be easy. It must be sacrificial. That's the only way. That we can love just as He has loved us. The Apostle John, who's eyewitness to this whole conversation and wrote this down, he also wrote the Book of Revelation. He also wrote three letters. John couldn't get this concept out of his out of his mind. The whole his whole first letter of 1 John is just he's just riffing on this theme. Of Jesus has loved us and we need to love the way that he has loved us. Let me show you what I mean. In 1 John chapter 3, 16. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So love is defined by what Jesus did. And that we need to go and do the same thing. 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. So receive the love that God has for us and then go and love one another. 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. So Jesus has set the standard, this new example of what love is. And then he's also given us the power. When we understand that we've been loved like this, we then can go and love other people. So how are we doing with this? How are we doing at intentionally and sacrificially loving one another? Let's start at home. If you live in a Christian home, if you live with even just one Christian in your family, whether it be a sibling, whether it be a parent, whether it be a spouse, whatever that is, just first off, just recognize the privilege that that is. Just think about your other brothers and sisters, in this room right now who would do anything for 24 hours to live under the same roof as another Christian, who are in a continual spiritual battleground in their home right now because they are the only Christian living under that roof. And so just be reminded of the privilege of what it means to have a spouse who's a Christian. To have a son or daughter who's a Christian. To have parents who are Christians. And to understand that this command begins right there. It begins in those primary family relationships. If you have believers in your family. What does it mean for you to be intentional and sacrificial in those relationships? Understanding that privilege. And listen, if you don't have that privilege, you need to, again, you need to look around this room and see that you may not have Christians in your family, but you're part of a bigger family. And so, what does it mean for you to love intentionally and sacrificially right here? Did we come to church today just expecting to receive? Or did we come with this idea of being intentional and being sacrificial? Did we come? Did we we just come here just to come? Just to sort of, I came to church on Sunday? Or did you come to be the church on Sunday? Did you come here on purpose to lay down your life for other believers? To love them and to serve them? Did you come with a sense of intentionality? (laughs) We, we often just get this consumerist mindset about church. Just remind yourself, you're not a customer of Hope Church Mississauga. You are Hope Church Mississauga. Don't, don't, don't leave me hanging. I don't want just to be the only one that, that's trying to pour themselves out here. And I know I'm not, but there's a lot more that can be done. There's a lot more intentionality that's needed. There's a lot more sacrifice and counting the cost for one another that we must be doing. Are we loving one another? Are we looking at Jesus' standard? Are we looking at his love as a motivation for loving others? Then this is incredible. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have loved one another. If you have love for one another. Up until this point, it was easy to know who Jesus' disciples were. Because they were the ones that were just following him everywhere. Jesus goes to Nazareth. The guys that went with him are are his disciples. Jesus comes down to Jerusalem. The people that are with him are his disciples. When Jesus was physically present, it was easy to know who his disciples were. But Jesus had just been telling them, I'm going People will not physically, visibly be able to make the connection that you're going everywhere I'm going. So we need, we need a new way. A new way of identifying who you are. And he says the way to do this is the way that you love one another. This is how the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples. Not in the way that we preach. Not, not in our passionate worship. Not in our, not in our commitment to the academic rigor of apologetic study. And not, in our, not even in our evangelism. Not even in our giving. Not even in our programs. Our outreach. That is not how they will know. They will know when they see us loving one another. All of those things are great. We want to keep preaching. We want to keep worshiping. We want to keep doing outreach. But when we want to to reach out and we want to bring them into the family of God. we We want them to see how we love one another. We don't just witness as individuals. We witness as a community in the way that we care for one another in the way that we love one another. Unsaved people can't see Jesus. He's not physically here but he can see other followers of Jesus that you are intentionally and sacrificially loving. And there's something beautiful and attractive about that. So we love one another when we obey his commands and when we follow his example. Jesus is making himself Absolutely clear here. But then look at what Peter says in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Peter got so stuck on the question of Jesus' whereabouts or his destination, where he's heading. It's as though Jesus' mouth was moving and he was making sounds, but Peter was, it wasn't clicking with Peter. Peter wanted the information. Here's the thing so often in our life, we just want God to show us stuff. We just want the answer. And what God wants is obedience. It's as though Peter just takes for granted. Yeah, yeah, loving, loving. I know we've all we've been together three years. These are my boys. We're you know we're we're one and the same. We, we'll, we got the loving thing. That's fine. But Jesus, what about this going thing? Give us the information. Show, we're confused. We want to know the answer. Sometimes we find ourselves in some sort of situation or circumstance, and we want to know why am I here? When is it going to end? And these are all good questions. We see these questions in the Psalms. But there's another question we need to ask. Not just why am I here and when is it going to end. We need to ask ourselves the question, how do I obey while I'm here? Jesus says, I'm going. I'm going to put you in this new situation. I'm going. Here's the new circumstances that you're going to be in engaged in, and here's what I want you to do to obey, I want you to love. And Peter's like, I don't want to obey, I just want to know how, when it's going to be over. I, I, just, I want some more answers. And listen, if we, would just, if we would just be a little bit more humble, a little bit more teachable, a little bit more ready to obey in the situation we find ourselves in. See, Peter, here's here's the danger. Peter didn't understand how badly he needed this command. Peter didn't understand how badly he needed the just as part. He didn't realize how badly he needed Jesus' love for him. He was just kind of taking it for granted. And so we love one another when we obey his command, when we follow his example. And then thirdly, when we Understand our need. When we understand our need. So Jesus is saying, you know, he's saying, I want you to obey this command, I want you to love one another. Peter misses the whole point in verse 36: Lord, where are you going? Again, Jesus is so patient with Peter. Remember the whole foot washing thing? And Peter's like, Don't wash my feet, wash all of me. Then Jesus is just very patiently responds to him. He says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow me afterward. Peter, you will get to go to the Father. And Peter, you will suffer. Not exactly the same way I did, but in a similar way. You will suffer. You will go where I am going. But that's still not enough. Verse 37, Peter says, Lord, Why can I not follow you? So where are you going? That's question number one. Jesus doesn't answer it. He just assures him that you're going to get there. But Peter says, why not now? He says, I will lay down my life for you. You see, Peter... At this moment in time, and we've all been there, Peter thought that he loved Jesus so much that it's not difficult at all for Jesus to love Peter. Jesus, man, why can't I go with you now? I mean, I would, I love you so much, Jesus, that I would lay down my life for you. And then Jesus says, verse 38, will you lay down your life for me? Sort of in our contemporary vernacular, Jesus would be saying, really, Peter? (laughs) Really? Peter doesn't understand his need. We, we, we so often get things all backwards and turned around and we rather than us needing Jesus, we somehow think that Jesus needs us. Peter is thinking, why can't I go with you now? I, I, I want to be there for you, Jesus. I want to protect you. I want to help you. But the way the events are about to unfold... Peter's going to see. He's going to have his eyes open wide to how much he needs Jesus. You you think about how (laughs) unwittingly arrogant he's being. In a matter of hours, he's going to be intimidated by a servant girl. Outside the high priest's palace. He's going to be afraid to tell her that he... Is a follower of Christ. That's, that's where he's going to be before, before the rooster crows. There's incredible irony here. Peter thinks that he must give his life for Jesus. But it's Jesus who's going to give his life for Peter. Peter's writing a check right now that he can't cash. He doesn't even know it. But Jesus just very lovingly says to him, this is how it's going to go for you, Peter. Peter thinks that Jesus needs his help. But Peter needs Jesus' help. Peter is in no position to help. And he's so clueless of it. See, here's the thing. We can, we can reach these Milestones as a Christian, we can have things going in our lives where we think, God must be so happy with me. He must be so glad that I'm on his team, that I'm serving him. And we forget what it means, what the just as means. We won't truly love other people intentionally or sacrificially until we understand how woefully sinful we are until we get to a point like Peter got after he denied Jesus three times and he went out and wept bitterly you even look at the next the next verse chapter 14 verse 1 what does he say let not your hearts be troubled it's just Jesus just compassionately reaching out to Peter and all of the disciples because they're all going to flee from him. And Peter is going to deny the very one that he had just said he would lay down his life for. Jesus says, Don't be troubled. He says, I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Peter, listen, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Peter, you don't even know what you're saying. You haven't even seen the depth of depravity in your life. But Jesus says, listen, I've still prepared a place for you. Even though, it's it's not like, hey Peter, you're going to mess up. and And then I'll love you after that. No, he says, I love you even when you do mess up. I, I became a follower of Jesus Christ when I was six years old at a summer camp. That's why I'm such a huge believer in children's ministry. Whether it be camp ministry, whether it be like a Sunday school program like at our church, like Hope Kids. If you're looking for a way to serve, that is a great way to serve. But but he, he, here's the thing. when I, If I were to make a list of all my sin... the list between birth and age six is not very long. And the kinds of things that I confessed and repented of between birth and age six, you wouldn't exactly call heinous. But God chose to love me in that moment. And save me in that moment. And at that point in time when I was six I thought I loved Jesus more than anything. And then as I mature and as I grow, listen. The worst sins that have been committed, and some of you have testimonies where the worst sins you committed were before you knew Christ. Not so with me. The worst sins I've committed have been after knowing Christ. But here's the marvel of God's grace. He knew that when he saved me when I was six years old. He knew how arrogant I would be. He knew how prideful I would be. He knew how foolish I would be. And yet he still loved me. And I didn't even know what I was signing up for when I first became a follower of Christ. The times where I recommitted myself to Christ. I didn't even know. And yet he still loved me. And until we understand our need, we will never be able to intentionally and sacrificially love one another. Until we truly understand what it means for Jesus to love me as a sinner. And to be patient with me, and merciful to me, and kind to me, and gracious to me. It's only when we understand it. Peter did not understand his need. He thought Jesus needed him. Oh my goodness. But Jesus was going to allow these circumstances to unfold so that Peter would see how desperately he needed Jesus. And then Jesus, at the end of the Gospel of John, will get there sometime around Easter, where Jesus, just lets Peter deny Jesus three times, Jesus will then ask Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Do you understand your need? Don't assume that you, oh, I got the loving thing figured. I I know how to love other... (laughs) it's only when we understand how 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 we fall short of obeying this command that we truly can live it you know the famous passage about love is in first uh, corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 to 7 you know love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This is what we're commanded. This is is what love is supposed to look like. And one of the ways that we can assess and understand our need is to read 1 Corinthians 13 like a bit of a pop quiz. And to ask, every time we see the word love, to ask ourselves a question, so we can ask ourselves like this, am I patient and kind? Do I envy or boast? Am I arrogant or rude? Do I insist on my own way? Am I irritable or resentful? Do I rejoice at wrongdoing or do I rejoice with the truth? Do I bear all things? Do I believe all things? Do I hope all things? Do I endure all things? how'd you do on the quiz? I failed at question 1A. But if you know you failed at the quiz, that's actually good news. Because it means that you're, that you're in a position of actually understanding how badly you need Jesus to love you. And that you could stand in awe and marvel that he would be patient and kind towards you. You see, we will only love others the way Christ loved us if we truly understand what it means for Christ to love us. That's where it begins. There is this new standard, but this new standard comes from understanding who Christ is, who we are, and what Christ has done for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, that you would help us to comprehend how much you love us. Paul prayed in Ephesians 3. It says that he got on his knees and he prayed that the church at Ephesus would would understand the height and the depth and the width and the breadth. He prayed that that church would know the love of Christ. And so God, I pray that Hope Church Mississauga would know the love of Christ. That we would know what it means for Christ to love us. And that from an understanding of that love, that we would love one another just as in that exact way. God, we know that we cannot do that on our, on our own. We know we can't obey the command on our own. We know that we can't even fully comprehend your love for us on our own. So we pray that your spirit would help us to do both those things. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.